Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Let me say, most Americans don't understand the importance of history. The importance of history. They say, well, you know, they say phrases like, uh, um, today is what counts and it's not, it's not history. And we learn from history that you learn nothing from history. I've heard all those statements and they're, none of them are true. But what we've done is we've bought into an existential movement that says that history is meaningless and the future is unpredictable, both of which are false. The future is very predictable. It's about Jesus Christ, and there is great hope. And the past is documentable. But we have lost the, 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 uh, the history, and we must recount it. So let me tell you just a few stories to get started to, to whet your appetite for what God has done in the past. Do you know when the pilgrims came at Cape Cod and they landed there, it was the, one of the most providential events of all history. For they were actually bound for Virginia, but they landed in Cape Cod, several hundred miles to the north. But the, the Mayflower had been blown off course and ended up at Cape Cod because their patent or their contract did not include this, this territory. They decided to get in the boat Mayflower and, and start southward again. So they did that, but God didn't allow it. He, it says, in fact, that they soon encountered what they said was dangerous shoals and roaring breakers, and they were forced to return to Cape Cod. From there, they began scouting expeditions to find a place to settle and finally discovered what we now know as Plymouth, Massachusetts. Had they arrived a few er years earlier, uh, they would have been greeted by the fiercest tribe on the whole East Coast, the Patuxet tribe, which had occupied that area. But in 1617, just before they arrived, had been wiped out by a plague. It was perhaps the only place on the East Coast that they could have survived. And God planted them there. Now, the next miracle was this. You've heard of this person. It was another providential event. A man named Squanto, who was a member of the Patuxet tribe, had been kidnapped in 1605, about a decade before they landed. He was kidnapped, taken to England, learned English, and then through a course of events, through different different things that happened in his life, he found his way back to the Plymouth area where his Patuxet tribe had, had uh, uh, all been wiped out. He returned to find them, and he discovered that they were all gone. After searching for them in vain to find survivors, he finally attached himself to the neighboring tribe of Wampanoag. Fluent in English, he was led by God to offer his friendship to help the pilgrims that were right next door. And uh, General or uh, Governor Bradford says that he was a special instrument sent of God for their good beyond their expectation. Without his help, they probably would have not survived the first winter because he showed them how to plant corn and fertilize it with fish. He also acted as their guide and their interpreter in dealing with the, Massas the uh, Wampanoag chief Massasoit in the crucial early days. He saved their life. It was a providential hand of God that brought him back at the right time. Now this one, I, I'll have to summarize this one for you. This is, this is one of the most amazing ones. 
But in New England, <clears throat> later in this, this time period, about 1746, I believe, the English had established the colonies in that, that eastern seaboard. But the French, who, who would, would wanted to come in and bring just Roman Catholicism and get rid of all Protestant and all uh, religious freedom, were trying to come and attack the English and get rid of them and get rid of religious freedom. But as they, they sent 70 ships from France to come over to, to, the, to the coast, on the way, they lost ships, things happened, and uh, once they came into the harbor where the English or the, the, the pilgrims and the rest of those religious freedom people were, they began to pray. And as they prayed, a storm came up and blew them all out to sea, and these ships, 70 of them, either were destroyed or had to return to France. And the, the, the pilgrims and all those said it was the providential hand of God that saved them during this time. Without that, we would not have religious freedom in America. Now, the next thing, are you still with me? I mean, I could, talk, I could tell you story after story after story. That there's the, you've probably heard of this one, the hand of God which rescued George Washington's army. God's providence was involved in this. General Howe was facing General Washington, and they were, they were on a Long Island. Some 8,000 men were in Brooklyn Heights of the, of the American army, and Washington realized he had to retreat, but he couldn't because the English had a semicircle around him, and the British ships were out in the harbor to close him off. But So Washington began a desperate attempt and bold strategy in which he collected every vessel that he could find, from rowboats to sloops, and manned them from by with fishermen from Gloucester and Marblehead, Massachusetts, who were fishermen who knew what to do with boats. And he set about to evacuate his 8,000 troops by night. But it was a full moon night. And they could see and hear them if they would go out into the water. A desperate measure for sure. And so 8,000 men being transported, and, and it, was, it was a miracle, but... But the historian John Fisk writes, the Americans had been remarkably favored by the sudden rise of a fog which covered the East River. All of a sudden, a fog rose. A fog doesn't come this time of the year, but a fog rose. And it was, it was a night in which the fog covered the sound and the sight. And the next morning when the British woke up, they saw that their enemies had vanished with their provisions, their horses, and even their cannons. And notice this, he, he maintains, this historian maintains that so rare a chance of ending the war at a blow was never again to be offered to the British commanders. And it was at that moment that God providentially saved America by saving the American army. I could go on with more, but I need to get to my notes. God has a providential hand in America, just like he has a providential hand in your life. God works in people, and he works in nations. God visits and blesses people, and he judges people. God blesses nations and judges nations. He does that by how they respond to his word. So let's talk about this for a few minutes. Are you with me? So we read the scripture, Matthew 28. So the Bible says we're to disciple nations. We're to disciple nations. So what he started this with providential things occurring, so what are the, now I want you to put your thinking caps on. Don't, don't fade out of me. If I see you fading, I'm going to come and walk down and, sh and scare you. 
you got to put your thinking caps on. I'm, I'm a teacher, and I, I, I can see it in people's eyes when they fade. So watch out. I'm looking. Okay. So what are the moral or the internal and the structural or external foundations of a free society? Right now, the world is crying out for liberty. That's what the world wants. They want liberty or freedom. But where does freedom or liberty come from? Where does it come from? Is liberty simply the absence of tyranny? Is liberty licensed to do what I want? Is, is democracy itself the answer? Can liberty be sustained? Is God in control? Is there any hope? That's kind of what we're saying because we've seen a, a culture go downhill. The answer always lies in the word of God and was applied by the early pilgrims and our founding fathers. American political institutions are rooted in the biblical philosophy of Christian self-government. I'm going to prove this over, this over this message. This is where political sovereignty rests on the individual under God rather than either the state or the church on the one hand or the individual in and of himself on the other hand. In other words, the state is not God. The individual is not God. God is God. Now, in order for our institutions to work right, the individual must understand, you, I, must understand how to govern ourselves under God in every area of life, including the civil sphere. So, in Judges, we see how, excuse me, I've got to get my notes straight here. So what are the biblical uh, principles that define the issues and provide guidance and solutions to the problems of our society? We have all kinds of problems. I see that. I, I, they're talking about it on TV all the time. We got problems. We got problems. We got problems. But we must find a way to release and protect liberty without spawning chaos. Okay, there's chaos everywhere. Chaos is, is uh, 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 people's license running amok. We need to interpret current events from God's perspective. I think providential things are happening right now just like they happened in early America. And I, I want, I'm not going to, I'm going to give you principles, so I'm not going to necessarily give you a lot of, uh, of, of items personally, but I, I wish I could. I, I, I'd interpret everything that's going on in the news and everything else so you could understand it because it's a mess. But we must see the providence of God in our world, which gives needed hope for the future. We first of all have personal reconciliation with God. Our world was only made to be right when God is set right in our lives. This that I'm talking about this morning is not about politics. It's about government. Politics is of man. Government is of God. Let me show you. Politics is defined in the Webster's Dictionary as this. Factional scheming for power and status within a group, sometimes crafty or unprincipled. Sounds like all the politics I've seen. But what we must see that government is different than politics because government is God's way of ruling in the earth. We must have government, but it must be God's kind of government. So the government of God, what is it? Christians many times think that civil government is, is an institution, is, is at enmity with God. In other words, that, that, that civil government is the enemy of the church. I'm telling you right now, that is not true, but we've kind of made it that way. This comes from the idea that civil government is man's idea, which comes from evolution. 
Civil government is God's idea. There are three institutions. There's civil government, there's family, and, and there is the church. Those are the three institutions. Many Christians think that the non-Christians should go ahead and take care of civil government. It's their domain. So many Christians don't even bother to vote. If I hear you're not voting, I'm at your door. It's a stewardship. It's not just an option, people. It's a mandate from heaven. The consequence of this mentality is this, that the majority of people involved in civil government, because the Christians have X'd them out, are those motivated by self-interest rather than love and the highest good. So even though we pray for godly government, only the ungodly are actually involved. Did you hear what I said? So we can pray, but if we don't do our part, then it doesn't matter how hard you pray. Because this is what happens. This is what happens. The result is that power shifts upwards to the state and freedom evaporates. Let me say it this way. I just, I'm going I'm to jump ahead to give you just a quality thought here. The bigger the government, the more corruption there, are, there is, and thus less liberty there is. Now, I'm going to tell you how liberty comes. So what we must do is we must look, is this is what the Constitution is all about. That's why we called it the rule of law. It's not the rule of opinions. It's the rule of law. And by the way, we do not live in a democracy. When you hear people saying, well, we got to, you know, this is a democracy. This is not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that. And so you hear all these dumb statements by excuse me, dumb people because they're ignorant. They're not, they don't understand what they're saying. And so we, we, we see that, that the greater the, the government, the government then becomes God, and God does not become God. So what you must do is you must limit government, which is the founding father's idea. They limited government by the three pillars of the Constitution, which I don't have time to go into which talks about limited government. So when anybody talks about greater government, more government, etc., you can you can bet your bottom dollar they're talking about corruption and less liberty. Okay? And guess what? I get to say all this because the Johnson amendment was just wiped out by President Trump. And he did a <laughs> He did a presidential order that allows pastors to say whatever they want. I say it anyway, but, you know, uh, without, you know, getting rid of their IRS status, which really doesn't matter anyway. But anyway, back to what we're talking about. So Christians allow the non-Christians to do government, and then we're surprised when abortion becomes legal, condoms are distributed in schools, evangelism is outlawed as a hate crime, and on and on the list goes. Why are we surprised? This really shouldn't surprise us because the ungodly are doing what the ungodly do, acting from within their limited worldview and their fallen nature. So Christians need to be involved. But here's the other, here's the other side of it. Christians then get involved, but they get too involved in that they try to control the government. And we must, we must they say this, we must control society to prevent and redress this downward slide and loss of freedom. 
But this, this is a move towards tyranny. The only difference is the Christians are controlling. So, but God's way is neither apathetic or controlling. God's way is love. Love is an active laboring for the highest good of all, and its ways and means are expounded by God in the Bible. So the major cause, let me just, I'm going to wrap it all up, right, by saying this. So the major cause of the decline of our civil structure in America is ultimately found to be a lack of godly biblical character on the part of Christians. Selah on that one. Think about that. So what I'm saying is, if American Christians would stand up and start doing what I'm going to tell you, show you do, and, and, and talk about next few minutes, we could change American culture like that. But what we're doing is we're allowing culture to, to dis- disciple us. We're allowing, you know, I don't get this. Everybody wants to be a celebrity. You don't want to be a celebrity. It's stupid. It's messy. It's Anyway, what we want to do is we want to example Jesus Christ. And we want to change culture in that way. So it, it is, this is manifested, this idea of, of being outside civil government is, is manifested, manifested in an apathy that does not recognize Jesus' command, which says, occupy till I come. In other words, the church is to occupy till he comes. We're to be salt and light. We're to save things, preserve things, and give light to things. We are to be actively involved. And it, it means that we're, we spend time, energy, and resources exercising our stewardship. Our stewardship is to occupy till he comes. Sometimes Christians don't get involved, but exercise a worldly spirit that seeks to control, which I've talked about. We don't want to control. Basically, Christians have become stewards of sluggishness. It is our job to fix t- things, but it's a long-term labor. It's not going to be overnight. Didn't happen overnight. Won't reverse overnight. But here's the source of liberty. Let me read this to you. This is the uh, part of the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence says this. See, I'm giving you a, a Bible, Christian history, all these things wrapped up in one so you can hopefully figure it out. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, those are words, in fact, some historians said those are the, probably the most well-recognized words in history. And these words tell us something. They tell us something. The statement that the founding fathers almost put in the declaration was life, liberty, and property. Now, why would they almost put property in there? I remember Helen, Helen Shenoweth, our, our uh, wonderful congressman from this church. She always had a, a desire to, to honor private property. But it's more than just what you think it is. We think of property as that which a person owns. The possession or possessions, goods, land, piece of land, real estate, etc. But that wasn't the idea of the founding fathers. This is what they thought property was. Watch this. James Madison defines it this way. He says, in the former sense, a man's land or merchandise or money is called his property. But in the latter sense, a man has a property in his opinions and the free communication of them. He has a property of peculiar value in his religious opinions and in the profession and practice dictated by them. He has an equal property in the free use of his faculties 
and free choice of the objects on which to employ them. In a word, as a man is said to have a right to his property, he may be equally said to have a property in his rights. Government is instituted to protect property of every sort. Conscience is the most sacred of all property. Wow, that blows into the, in smithereens this case in Oregon where the bakers were required to do something by the state which violated their conscience. This statement by the founding fathers said, the greatest property value you have is your conscience. When the government says what you're to think, the government has overpassed what they're to be. Now, you're still with me, aren't you? You're still thinking. So property is, first of all, internal. It's in a person. It's his free use of his faculties and his conscience. External property was something the individual produces from within his abilities. And this is interesting. This is interesting. Can I just tell you, communism doesn't work. Socialism doesn't work. And those of you who think socialism is uh, 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 the social space and in, uh, you know, Facebook and everything. That's not what socialism is. People believe that. They think Facebook and Twitter and all that, that's socialism. That's, that's socialism. Let me, let me tell you something. This is interesting. The pilgrims, when they landed, started doing a communal thing with everyone in which everyone participated in raising the crops. They put it in one barrel, and everybody got the same amount. And all of a sudden, they figured out it wasn't working. So what they did, Governor Bradford divided it up among everyone, so everyone had their plot of land, and all of a sudden, everything flourished. In Virginia, when the Virginia company came, they did the communal thing, and they about destroyed each other. They went from 500 people to 70 people because of the, of the greed and everything that was there. And they about destroyed each other until they figured this out and they started doing the same thing. And it saved them. My point being, God's word always works. And he gives us talents to work and to sow and to seed and to steward. God gives you gifts to steward. If you steward them, you are blessed by the gifts that God gives you. And God will bless and replenish you. Is this making sense? And that's why when the government starts taking over things and communalizes everything, it won't work. Okay, just thought you'd like to know that. I wish I could go and give a counsel to all these people in Washington right now. Okay, here's, we need to go on. We need to get done here. So, the word happiness, they, they, instead of property, they put in happiness. Happiness was just an expansion and greater use of property. It meant all the property together brought happiness. If you had property altogether. John Dickinson, one of the founding fathers, said, we cannot be happy without being free. That we cannot be free without being secure in our property. That we cannot be secure in our property without our consent. If others may, as by right, take it away. We have the fruit, the right to the fruits of our own labors, which God commands us to perform. That is our property. And everybody said amen. And the source of this liberty, 
Because the whole world is looking for liberty. The source of this liberty, according to John Wycliffe, was this. If the people of a society would govern their own lives, rejecting wrong and doing right voluntarily, there would be no need for a government of external force to control them. He goes on, and he, said, he, 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 he gives a phrase. Now, you're going to have to think about this. Dominion belongs to grace. Think of you looking at him. What does that mean? Dominion belongs to grace. In other words, dominion, the, the, the right to, to rule over things, belongs to those who are in grace or who are in love, in the love mandate. It belongs to them. And Wycliffe said this. He saw placing the Bible in the hands of the people as the means to accomplish this change in government. The people could read the Bible, come to know God personally, reform their lives in accordance with biblical principles in personal, family, ecclesiastical, a civil, and even economic. This Bible is for the government, of the people, by the people, for the people. John Wycliffe was the first one to say that. He concluded that the source of liberty in a society is widespread individual Christian character. So the existence, here, I'm I'm telling you what it is right now. So the existence of liberty depends on understanding and applying the biblical philosophy of government, which is Christian self-government. Why is it that when America exports democracy and other countries try to mimic America in democracy, it doesn't work? Because they took the main ingredient out. It isn't democracy. It isn't even a republic. It's God's Christian self-government that makes it happen and work. That's why it doesn't work. You can't export this. You you need to export God is what you're doing. In other words, disciple all nations according to Matthew 28. Man, this is good. I could talk about this all day because the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians. It says where where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty. Now, you're come on, stay with me. The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And it involves the Christian revolution for individual freedom. In other words, we have to continually, it never stops, we have to continually fight for Christian self-government. And as our culture becomes more secularized, we've not been taught the basic principles of of Christian self-government in our schools. Our kids are not being taught this. They've taken all morals and everything out of school. It's just a skeleton of what it used to be. And we wonder why they don't do well. And we've not been willing to actually do what the Bible says. This is interesting. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, the government fed them. But when they left, God fed them. And that's when they complained. Numbers 11.4. Watch this. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing to look at but this manna. The fact is that the food in Egypt was not free. In other words, the people paid for that with their whole lives in slavery. And that's what happens even in inner cities and with government taking over people's lives. It's slavery and they think it's free. It's not free. Now, instead of depending on the state for food, they they needed to depend on God. We need to depend on God. They needed to gather the manna up, be content, and be thankful for the provision. They had to learn a new self-government. They had to learn to govern their attitudes and their tongues, which is very difficult. 
I remember when our kids were growing up, Connie and I disciplined our kids for attitudes because attitudes are really important. I'm almost done. Are you still with me? So, government refers to the flow of power which controls the actions of the individual. To govern is simply to regulate or control. We need Christian self-government. We don't just need self-government. Watch this. Because this is what happens. In Judges, we see how self-government rules. Freed from external tyranny... They slid away from individual relationship with God and obedience to his law of love. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So Pharaoh was not their king. God was not their king. They were their king. And the result was terrible anarchy. Freedom without order. Now I'm telling you, we'll either go to tyranny or freedom without order. Anarchy, if we're not careful. So a lot of Christians reason, well, if we can only get Christians in office if we can only implement biblical law, we'll have righteousness, then we can just relax. The result, however, could be just Christian tyranny or Christian socialism because we have to have Christian self-government. The biblical philosophy of government, the individual is to govern his own life according to God's law and do what is right voluntarily. The civil government is created not to control the individual, this is God's way, but to protect his freedom and safety, to protect him from those who refuse to govern themselves. That's why we have government, is to, re- is to govern those who refuse to govern themselves. Romans 13, 3 through 4, a terror to evil. This is what civil government is to be, a terror to evil and a servant for good. Not the other way around. Oh, this is so good. I hope you're catching this. So, I'm almost done. We've we got to keep the civil government in its proper place. There can be freedom and order, which is dependent upon the people controlling themselves. So liberty is always voluntary. The two sources of government are internal and external. Government comes either from within or without. Internal government refers to the individual's actions being governed by the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Internal government is not the individual doing what he wants. That's license. Can I just... Can I just comment on this this for a minute? My concern in the church is this, that we get liberty, we get rid of legalistic things in the church, and grace comes. And we have this message, wonderful message of grace, which is a great message. But if you're not careful, you take the message of liberty and go into license. I can do whatever I want. That's not where liberty is. Liberty is this. Liberty is the freedom to do what, to not do what you want to do. That's what true liberty is. And so I see a lot of Christians who now being licensed because they believe in liberty and, and freedom to do whatever they want, they actually get weird. I'll just be honest. They get weird, and they do all kinds of things that you can't, you can't, you can't tell they're any different from the world. I'm saying God's internal government should govern you and govern you in such a way that you are a joy for everyone to see and to be around. That's why I may have freedom to do certain things that I will not do because if I did that it may cause a brother to stumble. Just a thought. Cuz we don't hear this very much anymore. 
I need to close. So, we have internal government. God's law is the absolute foundation. And the result of internal liberty of soul is external liberty in society. External government refers to the control by the state, the church, circumstances, by rules, by fears, lust, guilt, etc. External government rises in the absence of being controlled internally by the Lord Jesus Christ. Internal government is ruled by love. External government is ruled by fear. As individual character increases, liberty increases. Did you hear me? A decline in individual character brings about a decline in liberty. Let me illustrate it. The, out, the outside here is external. That's external government. This is internal government. So we see that the more internal, if this gets larger, we have more liberty because internal government expands liberty. If internal gets smaller, liberty decreases. Now, let me show you heaven and let me show you hell. This is heaven. Everything is internal. There is zero external government. It's complete liberty. Hell is this. External and internal is zero. Total chaos. Now watch this. Do you, you see this? Liberty, as internal government increases, liberty increases. And as it increases, we get more like heaven. As the internal gets bigger, it gets closer to the ideal of heaven because man is governing themselves internally, voluntarily. For instance, the reason why I don't steal cars is not just because it's the government says I can't do it. It's because I don't want to do it because it would violate my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sense? That is why internal government, as it increases in our culture, will cause that nation and that people group to have a heaven experience. Whoa. That's what we're talking about. Now, so, you, you can, in a family, for instance, in a family, that which defines how much freedom a parent will give his teenager is the, is the child's ability to govern himself. Right? So, in a nation, the amount of external civil government and its structure is defined by the ability of the people to govern their own lives under God. People get the government they deserve or the government their character requires. Whoa. And I close with just a few examples. Does this make sense this morning? You see what would happen in America if Christians would arise and have self-government and then put people in office who would govern in love and not external tyranny, the nation would have a heaven experience.
Let me close with these. These are interesting because this just illustrates what happens if a nation doesn't follow God's law and follows their own their own laws by their own religion. For example, there are many people starving in India right now. The problem, however, is not a lack of food, but that the people are not able to buy the food. The problem is economic. The problem is political stagnation. The problem is a religious problem because India is a food exporting nation. But the problem is rats are eating the food that are in storage but the people refuse to kill the rats because they worship the rats and will not exterminate them. The way to eliminate starvation in India is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and right their lives with self-government according to the word of God. It's that way around the world. We see this in Somalia. There's a famine in Somalia. But exacerbating the problem is the animosity that tribes who control the ports have against the tribes inland. There's food on ships in the harbor that's just rotting. But these tribes would just as soon see their fellow countrymen die as let them have the food. So the United Nations began a program to guard the relief food and deliver it by force of arms. Well, that'll help for a while. And foreign arms may perhaps help. But the problem is the hearts of men. It always is. Every economic problem in every nation is a problem of the heart. And it's a problem of religion. I, I can't say it any other way. I wish I could take more time. I'd like to spend another 10 hours just explaining to you all this. Because it's, it's powerful what this means and what we must begin to do in our own lives. So I want, I just challenge you today. As you enter this 4th of July celebration week, you need to start thanking God for, for where you live. But you need to start doing things to become a Christian who's really self-governing and can bring about. Can you see what I'm saying? If America would turn around and we would have more Christians who would be self-governing, the nation wouldn't have the problems they do. The problem is in those who have to be externally governed. Amen? That's why we have policemen. There has to be external control of those who won't control themselves. But we're here saying we love Jesus Christ and we're going to control ourselves. And we're going to see the heaven on earth as we do that. Would you bow your heads? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.